give up the fight for some other moment, some other life than here and now. Give up the longing for some other world, the wishing for other choices to make, other songs to sing, other bodies, other ages, other countries, other stakes. Purge the past, forgive the future, for each come too soon. Surrender only to this life, this day, this hour, not only because it does not constantly break your heart, but also because it beckons with beauty, startles with delight if we only keep waking up. This is the gift we've been given. These body clothes, this breath, this light, these friends, this hope. Here, we remember ourselves, all a part of it all, giving thanks and centering joy. Come, let us worship together. And welcome. I'm Reverend Bob LaValley, and those are the words of Reverend Gretchen Haley, who serves our sibling congregation in Fort Collins, Colorado. I'm really delighted to be here with our music director, Susan Peck, and our interim minister, Matt Partridge de Villarreal. I want to end up, oh, and our worship leader, Gerilyn Bowen, and Reverend Angela is taking a well-deserved day off. I want to thank our Director of Religious Education, Mia Norin, for sharing today's time for all ages. Our DJ today is the indispensable Chris Paul, and our tech team is Michaela Renz-Whitmore and Christine Robinson. And I want to give a special warm welcome to Cheryl Romanek, who has joined our tech squad. Thanks, Cheryl. We're glad you're here. If you're visiting today and you're comfortable with it, you're invited to put your name and location in the chat so we can say, hey. And Geraldine has an announcement. Good morning. We have one announcement today. Is there something you'd like to have a minister give a sermon on? The Social Justice Committee is holding their annual auction, including auctioning off a topic for our ministers to preach on. Until November 24th, you can submit potential sermon topics for one or all of the ministers on our Facebook auction page. To find the auction page, go to the First Unitarian Public Group page on Facebook. In the comment section, write what kind of sermon you'd like to hear. You're welcome to submit as many ideas as you want. Submissions will be accepted until November 24th. On the 25th, bidding will commence and run until the 30th. When, when the auction comes to a close. Bidding time before the 25th is not allowed. Bidding rules will be posted at that time. And now, a special message from the senior minister about the pledge campaign. Hi, everyone. Before we slide right into the holidays and things get too busy, I just wanna take a minute to give you an update on how we're doing with the pledge campaign. After all, if I were to tell you after the holidays, well, it would be too late. We'd be in the new year already in our 2022 budget. Yep, that's how it works. Each fall, you tell us how much you plan to give the church in the coming year. That's what a pledge is. And we, the staff and the board of directors, design a budget and plans based on that. 
that's the money that keeps the lights on and the Zoom Enterprise accounts paid. And that's the money that funds the staff that lead and support many of our ministries. We have to plan ahead and this is how we do it together. The update is we're doing great so far. About 300 households have made a pledge and together they add up to $658,000. That is fantastic. Thank you so much. Pledges range from a few dollars to more than $10,000. When you have so many people, every bit counts. What's important for you to know though, is we're not quite there yet. There being the goal. Last year, we had almost 500 pledges. So we have 300 so far, and last year we had 500. So in order to reach our goal, we need to hear from some more people. In fact, right now, we are at about 60% of the amount we need to fully fund the church next year. Now, here's some real talk. Some churches are reporting that during the pandemic, some members drifted away, taking their support with them. Now those churches face having to make painful budget cuts right when they are getting their momentum back with the return of in-person gatherings. You guys, I don't want us to lose our momentum. We need each other and Albuquerque needs us too. We need meaning making and community as we work to heal from our collective trauma. We need outreach and advocacy so that no one is left behind. And we need, the world needs, liberal religious voices standing up for what is right, for the inherent worth and dignity of every person, regardless of gender, sexual orientation, creed, race, or anything else. Humans should not be sorted into saved and not saved, lovable and not lovable. No, all are loved. I don't know if everyone who pledged last year is going to do so again now. That's the truth. What I do know is that if everyone who hears this message makes a pledge, if you just pledge whatever you can, whether it's a little or a lot, whether it's the first time you've done so or you've done it before, we are going to be fine. It takes a village. We are that village and it all adds up. I've made a pledge myself. I always do because I believe in this place, in what we are and in what we do together. Will you join me? Please join us in lighting our chalice. In sweet gratitude for the abundance of our earthly home at harvest time, we light this chalice. In humble homage to the indigenous people of this land who've suffered so much at the hands of our forebears, we light this chalice. In profound honor of what they teach us about living in communion with our mother earth, we light this chalice. May its flame ignite the fire of truth and justice in our hearts and bring us back home again, one human family. 
I hope you'll join us in our opening song out there on Zoom today. This is a mashup of two songs, one you probably know, I Am Willing by Holly Near, but we're going to bookend that with a song called There's a Truth, written by Unitarian Universalist troubadour Matt Meyer. The music is by Randy Scruggs and John Thompson. It's a contemporary, old-timey sounding hymn tune called Sanctuary, but we're singing There's a Truth Beyond Our Knowledge. There's a truth beyond our knowledge There's compassion beyond our pain There's a spirit burning brighter sing that again. There's a truth beyond our knowledge. There's compassion beyond our pain. There's a spirit burning brighter. There's a love to guide
there's a truth beyond our knowledge. There's compassion beyond our pain. There's a spirit burning brighter. There's a love to guide our We are Unitarian, Universalists, we are people of faith with open minds, loving hearts, and helping hands. Thank you. Let's pause the chat for a few moments during the meditation and prayer. As I walk over from my apartment to the church on Sunday morning, one of the things that always amazes me is the cottonwood tree whose canopy hangs over the courtyard like a big hug. Right now, it is a mass of yellow fall leaves, cadmium yellow, as one church member referred to them. And it reminds me of how beautiful this autumn season is that we are in. I've always said that I feel as if nature is there to serve as a reminder to humankind of how we are supposed to be. In the spirit of these words, I invite you to find a comfortable position, focus on your breathing, and close your eyes if that is comfortable for you. Imagine yourself as the cottonwood tree in our courtyard just as its roots have been there for generations. Imagine yourself grounding into this space, and into the room that you are in. From this grounded center, imagine yourself like the branches of the cottonwood extending out from your heart and connecting out to everyone else that is here meditating with you in this moment. <clears throat> with your body grounded in this space and time and our hearts extending out like the branches of the cottonwood tree to the hearts of all who are sharing this moment with us, let us move into a time of sacred silence together.
The radical philosopher Simone Weil once wrote, the love of neighbor in all its fullness simply means being able to say, what are you going through? Sometimes we're in a place of beauty and delight, sometimes in a place of trial and sorrow. Let us love one another by sharing both with open hearts. Please use the chat box to tell our community first what blessings have come your way of late, then what troubles and worries have shown up in your life as well. If for any reason you can't write in the chat box today, we still want to hear from you. We encourage you to be in touch by emailing caring at uuabq.org.
universal life force of all people, including the indigenous communities whose ancestral lands that we occupy that were taken by force. We grieve the injustices that have been committed at the hands of colonialism and imperialism. We acknowledge and hold intention that many of us have been unwittingly complicit or unwitting beneficiaries of that legacy. And armed with that knowledge, may we ever work together to change the future narrative toward one of justice, equity, and compassion in our human relations together on these lands that we share. As a community that has come together on this day, we bring all our joys for which we celebrate. We also bring concerns that weigh heavy in our hearts for many in our community, for Harlan LaRuvian Camp as he recovers from a recent fall, for Alice and Bill Willis and Ed Walhagen as they are dealing with health difficulties, for Michael Judd and his family as they mourn the loss of his wife Liza, and for Katya Ajdai and her family as they mourn the loss of her daughter, Mila. We remember and hold in love and light as we mark the recent observance of the Transgender Day of Remembrance, all of the beautiful souls in the transgender community throughout the world who were taken from us all too soon. And we call out without ceasing the violence and transphobia that continues to plague the transgender community especially our transgender siblings of color. We are also outraged and mourn with many others at the recent injustice in the Kyle Rittenhouse trial verdict. May we continue to cry out against the culture of systemic oppression that condones and uplifts racism and white supremacy in this country and work to bring about a world that truly respects all people and their inherent worth and dignity. In this time of year and this season when we gather as friends, family, and families of choice to give thanks for everything that we have shared and all that we have received, may we be surrounded in strength and love, may we be comforted, and may we be brought forth in safety and security. All this we lift up to the great power of healing and renewal known by many names. May it ever continue to be so. Amen and a blessed be. And peace be with you. Moira Smiley wrote the song, How Can I Cry, in 2006. She says, this is written to honor the cultures and individuals who have defied oppression, inspired and changed lives through raising their voices in song. She goes on, I feel lucky to have learned early on in my singing life, laments and protests of various cultures. These mostly folk songs powerfully expressed grief or protested against oppression, either personal or political. I wrote How Can I Cry at age 19 to challenge myself to know why I sing these songs, even though I may not have experienced the suffering they express. How Can I Cry is about singing for those who cannot sing or who have been told to be quiet.
sisters and brothers, forgive me for the things I say. I'm losing the meaning. I'm losing sight of night and day. The sun that I'm seeing is the same around the earth. So why is our freedom ruled by our power? How can I cry about freedom when I've lived a whole life of liberty? How can I sing about suffering and pain? I sing for all the souls who do not complain. Tomorrow and justice that seems so high and far away. While people are hungry, mistreated each and every day. Whatever all can I do? I'm standing here on solid ground. I sing for the silent people. Lord, hear our sound. Oh, Today is American Arithmetic by Natalie Diaz. Natalie Diaz was born and raised in the Fort Mojave Indian Village in Needles, California, on the banks of the Colorado River. She is Mojave and an enrolled member of the Gila River Indian Tribe. Native Americans make up less than 1% of the populations of America. 0.08% of 100%. Zero, mine efficient country. I do not remember the days before America. I do not remember the days when we were all here. Police kill Native Americans more than any other race. Race is a funny word. 
Race implies someone will win. Implies I have a good, as good a chance of winning as who wins the race that isn't a race. Native Americans make up 1.9% of all police killings, higher per capita than any race. Sometimes race means run. It's not, I'm not good at math. Can you blame me? I've had an American education. We are Americans and we are less than 1% of Americans. We do a better job of dying by police than we do existing. When we are dying, who should we call? The police or our Senator? Please, someone call my mother. At the National Museum of the American Indian, 68% of the collection is from the United States. I am doing my best not to become a museum of myself. I'm doing my best to breathe in and out. I am begging, let me be lonely, but not invisible. But in an American room of 100 people, I am Native American, less than one, less than whole. I am less than myself. Only a fraction of a body, let's say. Let's say I am only a hand. And when I slip it beneath the shirt of my lover, I disappear completely. Natalie Diaz. After World War II ended with the detonation of two atomic bombs, uranium mining began in the United States. The United States needed more bombs and therefore more uranium. And the mining areas quickly spread to include the Pueblo of Laguna and the Navajo Nation. For folks who don't know, the Pueblo of Laguna is about 50 miles due west of here, Albuquerque. Navajo Nation occupies parts of northern, northwest New Mexico and northeast Arizona and a small portion of southeast Utah. The Pueblo of Laguna is the, was the site of one of the world's largest open pit uranium mines. That mine closed several decades ago, but it hasn't been cleaned up yet. On the Navajo Nation, there are more than 200 abandoned uranium mines. What's the impact? What impact is that having on the native folks who live there? Well, in 2018, the University of New Mexico partnered with the Indian Health Service and screened 781 women. They found that 26% of them had concentrations of uranium that exceeded radiation levels found in the highest 5% of the U.S. population. They also found that newborns had, with equally high concentrations continued to be exposed to uranium during their first year. This was in 2018, three years ago. And this is what settler colonialism looks like today. Settler colonialism is what happens when non-native settlers occupy native land. In that occupation, settlers demand that their cultures, their values, and their ways of doing business be followed, regardless of how, far, how, far, how foreign they are to the natives being occupied. This means that native language, native ways of worship, 
Native understandings of ownership are all ignored and even destroyed. This is part of settler colonialism and its ultimate goal runs along a continuum from requiring assimilation into colonizing the culture into the colonizing culture to the erasure of native culture to out and out genocide. European settlement in North America has been a disaster. 90% of the forests in the continental US have been destroyed since that began. Many indigenous folks have been forced off their original homelands and forced into federally designated reservations. European settler colonizer companies extract resources from native lands and very little of that money is returned to those communities. Native people have been devastated physically, emotionally, and spiritually. It's helpful to understand that settler colonialism is a process. It's a process that's been happening for a very long time and it's still going on. Well, what keeps this process going 400 years after it arrived here? Well, there, there's five parts to it. First, the political system of the United States. The system was, has, been, has built in ways that keep power from the folks who were here first. For example, how often has this political system of the United States felt that it needed to honor the agreements that it made with the tribes? Not often. Second, the process is held up by extraction economies. These are systems that rely on the endless consumption of finite resources. As I did my research for this sermon, I was shocked to hear the degree to which the fossil fuel industry actively lobbies, lobbies to dismantle tribal identity, even including trying to make it easier for non-native families to adopt native babies. That's because they know that if they destroy the identity of the tribes, there will be no one left to resist their continued extraction of fossil fuels. Third, the process is held up by the systems that separate people and create hierarchies. It's basically the idea that some people are more important than others. To put this in terms of Unitarian Universalist theology, it's the opposite of affirming the interdependence that we understand to be the basis of life. When Native children were pulled from their families and placed in church-run schools to take away their culture and language, that was fundamentally about a hierarchy that thought to be Native was to be less than white people. Fourth, the process is held up by capitalism, specifically hoarding rather than sharing wealth. We've talked about this a fair amount before, and I'm sure I'm going to talk about it more. Fifth and finally, the process is held up by the suppression of knowledge, the suppression of knowledge. The true history of settler colonialism is buried under a mountain of propaganda from the settlers. The native stories are rarely told, so folks don't question the status quo. That's part of why I'm talking about it today. Before I go any further, I need to name a few things. I am a descendant of European settler colonizers. Like a lot of folks, I've been marinating in the systems that I just that I just listed that uphold settler colonialism. And worse yet, I've only been in New Mexico for a little more than two years, 
and I have an enormous amount to learn. I also have an enormous amount to unlearn. As I make my progress to better understand settler colonialism, I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to have to challenge my assumptions. And regretfully, I may even injure the people that I'm trying to understand. That's what comes with doing any kind of anti-oppression work. It's a price, but it's one that must be paid. Okay, so now that I've destroyed my credibility, let's talk about the history of settler colonization here in New Mexico. For much of this sermon, I'm drawing from information provided by the Albuquerque chapter of Showing Up for Racial Justice, and I'm grateful for their excellent work in this area. Let's begin. Francisco Vasquez de Coronado arrived in Tehuelans in 1539. At the time, there were at least 12 Tewa Pueblos living along both sides of the Rio Grande, including over 3,000 Sandia Pueblo inhabitants and at least 9,000 other Puebloans. It only took a year before the, the Tigüe War of 1540 to 1541 broke out. When Coronado began forcing indigenous people out of their homes and stealing vital resources such as food and heating supplies, the Tewa people retaliated by killing numerous mules and horses. Coronado then attacked the Arenal Pueblo, burning 30 people at the stake. The Tewa people took refuge on the Mesa, and the Spanish troops laid siege for months. At one point, the Tewa people made an escape attempt, and the troops brutally slaughtered and enslaved the survivors. After Coronado made a brief departure, Pueblo people utilized guerrilla warfare to drive the Spanish back to Mexico in 1542. In 1595, Juan de Añate was granted permission by King Philip II to colonize present-day New Mexico. In 1598, the three-day Acoma massacre occurred in which soldiers and conquistadors killed about 500 men and 300 women and children. Anyate took survivors captive and ordered that men aged 25 and older have a foot amputated. That same year, the first permanent colonial settlement was established under Onyate's rule in the Capo Pueblo and named San Juan de las Caballeros. Colonizers demanded forced labor, food, and textiles from within the Pueblos and they restricted access to fertile land and water. Spanish Roman Catholic priests forbade and eradicated the Pueblo's traditional religions. Missionaries were sent to Christianize the Pueblos. And I could do a whole other sermon about how Christian theologies were used to justify settler colonization, especially the Christian doctrine of discovery. Anyways, in 1680, there was, there was the Pueblo Revolt, which was a wide-scale rebellion that included various Pueblo, Navajo, and Apache groups. During the revolt, 400 Spanish were killed, and all the remaining settlers were driven out for 12 years. So that's just the beginning of settler colonization here in New Mexico, and there's a lot more to share. And I encourage you to do some research, do some reading. One of the classics is a book called Kiva, Cross, and Crown by John L. Kessel. I'll put that in the chat. How about? 
Kiba, Cross, and Crown. That's the story about the, of the Pecos Indians and their encounters with the settler colonizers from 1540 all the way to 1840. But let's do a big fast forward to the present day. What does settler colonialism look like in New Mexico today? This place is still a colony in many ways. We have an extraction economy, especially around fossil fuels. And who is disproportionately impacted by oil and gas extraction? Well, the Navajo Nation has all those unvaxxed oil workers living in their communities. And we saw the impact that, of that during the early stages of the pandemic, when half of the deaths in the entire state were members of the Navajo Nation. I talked about the impact of the uranium mining that's still impacting, not to mention, not to mention the native communities that were downwind of the atomic testing are still experiencing the ramifications of that. Who's been impacted by the three coal-fired plants in New Mexico? Well, they're all in Northwest New Mexico. That is Navajo Nation. Whose land is where the oil and gas pipelines are built? Why do native folks have to keep fighting to keep drilling out of sacred sites like Chaco Canyon? Why are native women in the US more than twice as likely to experience violence than any other demographic? Why does the U.S. keep inadequate data on missing and murdered Indian women? We can judge a society by what it's willing to live with. This society, our country, is very willing to live with the continued oppression of Native people by settler colonizers. In fairness, it's not all bad, and there are some signs to be hopeful about. In the 90s, President Bill Clinton mandated tribal consultation by executive order. And since then, tribes and the decisions about things that impact them are included as a standard for both working with the government and among professionals who do work that impacts Native people. And President Biden just hosted a tribal nations summit at the White House. That's tribal consultation at the highest level. This country's new director of the National Park Service is the very first Native American to hold that position, Chuck Sams III. Given the history between the national parks and Native people, this is just huge. And how about the Secretary of the Interior, our very own Deb Holland from the Pueblo of Laguna? I cried when I watched her get sworn in by Vice President Kamala Harris. Representation does matter. So what's our part in this? This past month, Angela and I have been talking about our personal histories and our sermons. And that brings us to this place where we need to acknowledge that our personal histories are positioned in larger histories. We don't live in a vacuum. We live in the present where the impacts of history are very alive and very real. You've heard me talk in other sermons about the ways that we are caught in systems beyond our own control and what that does to us. Well, that's part of the case here. So let's talk about taking action. First, I want to say a word about land acknowledgements. Land acknowledge, a land acknowledgement, if you don't know, is a statement that recognizes the indigenous land and the people who lived in a place either in the past or in the present. It's often shared at the beginning of a meeting or a presentation. 
so for example, for us in Albuquerque, we might say that we acknowledge that we are on unceded table land. Well, Reverend Angelo and I have discussed including, including land acknowledgements as part of our services. We decided that after much thought and consultation with accountability partners, that we as a church are not doing enough work on the settler colonizer issue to justify doing land acknowledgements. There's a line between real activism and performing virtue so that we look like we're activists. We didn't want to cross that line. We thought that doing land acknowledgements would be doing lip service. So we're not doing them right now. Anyways, I want to share a more direct way of making a difference. The Albuquerque chapter of Showing Up for Racial Justice, also known as SURGE, has created a way to make reparations as settler colonizers. It's called the Honor Native Land Tax. This is a way to redistribute resources from settlers to indigenous-led organizations on table land, also known as Albuquerque. Surge has partnered with two organizations that are committed to dismantling white supremacy, settler colonialism, and capitalism. The two partners are the Pueblo Action Alliance and the Red Nation. The Red Nation is a coalition of native and non-native activists and organizers. They're fighting for native liberation from capitalism and colonialism. They use the tactics of direct action, advocacy, mobilization, and education. And they form to address the marginalization and invisibility, remember that part about suppression of knowledge? Invisibility of native struggles within mainstream social justice organizing. And they wanna highlight the targeted destruction and violence towards native life and native land. The Red Nation has created what they call the Red Deal, which is a kind of like parallel or response to the New Deal and the Green New Deal and so on. It's got 10 very specific points in their program. It's worth checking out. Their website in general has great political education resources. The Pueblo Action Alliance is a community-driven organization that promotes cultural sustainability and community defense by addressing environmental and social impacts in indigenous communities. Now, I know that sounds like a lot of nonprofit speak, but I really do like their approach of using the ancestral wisdom to create their modern organizing tactics. One of their slogans is, the Pueblo Revolt Never Ended. And they have a great timeline of uh, colonization and resistance on their website. That's a really solid way for folks who want to educate themselves. These are worthwhile change-making organizations that modern-day settler colonizers, such as me, can support. If you Google Honor Native Land Tax, you'll find the link where you can take a little quiz to calculate what your tax might be. And you can set up a recurring donation if you're so moved. And there are ways to engage in the issue that don't involve donating money. The Albuquerque chapter of Surge holds practice and process sessions on settler colonization where folks can get political education and practical organizing skills. You can find out more about that on their website. I also want to make a pitch for Red Planet. Red Planet is the only native comic book store in the world, and it's right here in Albuquerque. And one of the founders of it is a former congregant in this congregation, Lee Francis IV. So I highly recommend that you check it out for your holiday shopping. It's great. So we here at First Unitarian Church of Albuquerque 
are in a colony on native land. Our native neighbors are suffering right in front of our eyes. The land is suffering right in front of our eyes. We can be judged by what we're willing to accept. Let's refuse to accept the suppression of knowledge. Let's refuse to accept the exploitation. Let's refuse to accept the genocide. And let's use what privilege we have to create some justice. Amen and blessed be. In giving thanks for the bounty with which we are blessed, as a community of faith, let us be generous in sharing that blessing with those who can use a hand. Our congregation's September through November donations benefit Read to Me, a project that provides books to children who might otherwise not have access to the realm of the written story, including bilingual books for children of the Navajo Diné Nation books for the Little Free Libraries in Albuquerque's International District, and books for the Albuquerque Public Schools. The offering will now be taken. You can also make a designated donation online at uuabq.org. Out where the river broke, the bloodwood and the desert oak, Holding wrecks and boiling diesels Steam in 45 degrees The time has come To say fair's fair To pay the rents To pay our share The time has come A fact's a fact it belongs to them Let's give it back How can we dance when our earth is turning? How do we sleep while our beds are burning? How do we dance when our earth is how can we sleep while our beds are burning? The time has come to say fair's fair, to pay the rent, now to pay our share. For we'll scare the cockatoos from Kinsaw East the western desert lives and breathes in 45 degrees the time has come to say fair's fair to pay the rents to pay our share the time has come a fact's a fact, it belongs to them, let's give it back.
How can we dance when our earth is turning? And how can we sleep while our beds are burning? How can we dance when our earth is turning? How do we sleep while our beds are burning? The time has come to save fair's fair, to pay the rent, to pay our share. The time has come, a fact's a fact, it belongs to them, let's give it back. How can we dance when our earth is turning? How do we sleep while our beds are burning? What is given in generosity is received in gratitude. Thank you on behalf of First Unitarian Church of Albuquerque and our Change for the Future recipient, Read to Me. If you would like to join us for a virtual coffee hour, please stay in the meeting after the final credits and you will be placed in a breakout room. If you are planning to talk with the board, please stay in the main room. For coffee hour, here is a discussion question for you to consider. What are ways that we could make space in order to help center the voices and experiences of indigenous communities? And before we extinguish our chalice, please navigate to gallery view. If you feel comfortable doing so, look at all of the wonderful smiling faces back at you and let us observe our pacham greeting. Place one hand on your heart, extend the other out to the rest of the people in the gallery. As we prepare to extinguish our chalices, let us remember to use what privilege we have to create some justice. Go in peace, gentle people, and practice radical love.